volume one chapter fifteen of travels in the interior of africa by mungo park this librivox recording is in the public domain negro curiosity a message from the king wara is a small town surrounded with high walls and inhabited by a mixture of mandingos and fulas the inhabitants employ themselves chiefly in cultivating corn which they exchange with the moors for salt here being in security from the moors and very much fatigue i resolved to rest myself and meeting with a hearty welcome from the duty whose name was flancherie i laid myself down upon a bullock's hide and slept soundly for about two hours the curiosity of the people would not allow me to sleep any longer they had seen my saddle and bridle and were assembled in great numbers to learn who i was and whence i came some were of opinion that i was an arab others insisted that i was some moorish sultan and they continued to debate the matter with such warmth that the noise awoke me the duty who had formerly been at gambia had last interposed in my behalf and assured them that i was certainly a white man but he was convinced from my appearance that i was a poor one july sixth it rained very much in the night and at daylight i departed in company with a negro who was going to a town called dingi for corn but we had not proceeded above a mile before the ass upon which he rode threw him off and he returned leaving me to prosecute the journey by myself i reached dingi about noon but the duty and most of the inhabitants had gone into the fields to cultivate corn and old fula observing me wandering about the town desired me to come to his hut where i was well entertained and the duty when he returned sent me some victuals for myself and corn for my horse july seventh in the morning when i was about to depart my landlord with a great deal of diffidence begged me to give him a lock of my hair he had been told he said that white men's hair made a safi that would give to the possessor all the knowledge of white men i had never before heard of so simple a mode of education but instantly complied with the request i reached a small town called wasabo about twelve o'clock where i was obliged to stop until an opportunity should offer of procuring a guide to satali which is distant a very long day's journey through woods without any beaten path i accordingly took up my residence at the duty's house where i stayed four days during which time i amused myself by going to the fields with the family to plant corn cultivation is carried on here on a very extensive scale and as the natives themselves express it hunger is never known in cultivating the soil the men and women work together they use a large sharp hoe much superior to that used in gambia but they are obliged for fear of the moors 
to carry their arms with them to the field the master with the handle of his spear marks the field into regular plats one of which is assigned to every three slaves on the evening of the eleventh eight of the fugitive cartans arrived at wasabu they had found it impossible to live under the tyrannical government of the moors and were now going to transfer their allegiance to the king of bambara they offered to take me along with them as far as satil and i accepted the offer july twelfth at daybreak we set out and travelled with uncommon expedition until sunset we stopped only twice in the course of the day once at a watering place in the woods and at another time at the ruins of a town formerly belonging to daisy called illa comp the corn town when we arrived in the neighborhood of satil the people who were employed in the cornfields seeing so many horsemen took us for a party of moors and ran screaming away from us the whole town was instantly alarmed and the slaves were seen in every direction driving the cattle and horses towards the town it was in vain that one of our company galloped up to undeceive them it only frightened them the more and we arrived at the town we found the gate shut and the people all under arms after a long parley we were permitted to enter and as there was every appearance of a tornado the duty allowed us to sleep in his balloon and gave us each a bullock's hide for a bed july thirteenth early in the morning we again set forward the roads wet and slippery but the country was very beautiful abounding with rivulets which were increased by the rain into rapid streams about ten o'clock we came to the rains of a village which had been destroyed by the war about six months before about noon my horse was much fatigued that i could not keep up with my companions i therefore dismounted and desired them to ride on telling them that i would follow as soon as my horse had rested a little but i found them unwilling to leave me the lions they said were very numerous in those parts and although they might not so readily attack a body of people they would soon find out an individual it was therefore agreed that one of the company should stay with me to assist in driving my horse while the others passed on to galu to procure lodgings and collect grass for the horses before night accompanied by this worthy negro i drove my horse before me until about four o'clock when we came in sight of galu a considerable town standing in a fertile and beautiful valley surrounded with high rocks early next morning july fourteenth having first returned many thanks to our landlord for his hospitality why my fellow travellers offered up their prayers that he might never want we set forward and about three o'clock arrived at mordra a large town famous for its trade in salt which the moors bring here in great quantities to exchange for corn and cotton cloth as most of the people here are mohammedans 
it is not allowed to the kaffirs to drink beer which they called neodolo corn spirit except in certain houses in one of these i saw about twenty people sitting round large vessels of this beer with the greatest conviviality many of them in a state of intoxication on the morning of the sixteenth we again set forward accompanied by a coffle of fourteen asses loaded with salt bound for san sanding the road was particularly romantic between two rocky hills but the moors sometimes lie in wait here to plunder strangers as soon as we had reached the open country the master of the salt coffle thanked us for having stayed with him so long and now desired us to ride on the sun was almost set before we reached talibu in the evening we had a most tremendous tornado the house in which we lodged being flat-roofed amidst the rain in streams the floor was soon ankle-deep the fire extinguished and we were left to pass the night upon some bundles of firewood that happened to lie in a corner july seventeenth we departed from datalabu and about ten o'clock passed a large coffle returning from sago with corn hose mats and other household utensils at five o'clock we came to a large village where we intended to pass the night but the duty would not receive us when we departed from this place my horse was so much fatigued that i was under the necessity of driving him and it was dark before we reached fanibu a small village the duty of which no sooner heard that i was a white man than he brought out three old muskets and was much disappointed when he was told that i could not repair them july eighteenth we continued our journey but owing to a light supper the preceding night we felt ourselves rather hungry this morning and endeavoured to procure some corn at a village but without success my horse becoming weaker and weaker every day was now of very little service to me i was obliged to drive him before me for the greater part of the day and did not reach geosoro until eight o'clock in the evening i found my companions wrangling with the duty who had absolutely refused to give or sell them any provisions and as none of us had tasted victuals for the last twenty-four hours we were by no means disposed to fast another day if we could help it but finding our entreaties without effect and being very much fatigued i fell asleep from which i was awakened about midnight with the joyful information kininata the victuals are come this made the remainder of the night pass away pleasantly and at daybreak july nineteenth we resumed our journey proposing to stop at a village called dulinkebu for the night following my fellow-travellers having better horses than myself soon left me and i was walking barefoot driving my horse when i was met by a coffle of slaves about seventy in number coming from sago 
They were tied together by their necks with thongs of a bullock's hide, twisted like a rope, seven slaves upon a thong, and a man with a musket between every seven. Many of the slaves were ill-conditioned, and a great number of them women. In the rear came Sidi Mohammed's servant, whom I remembered to have seen at the camp of Benome. He presently knew me, and told me that these slaves were going to Morocco, by way of Ludamar and the Great Desert. In the afternoon, as I approached Dulink Abu, I met about twenty Moors on horseback, the owners of the slaves I had seen in the morning. They were well armed with muskets, and were very inquisitive concerning me, but not so rude as their countrymen generally are. From them I learnt that Sidi Mahomed was not at Sago, but had gone to Kakaba for gold dust. When I arrived at Dulinkabu, I was informed that my fellow travellers had gone on, but my horse was so much fatigued that I could not possibly proceed after them. The duty of the town at my request gave me a draught of water, which is generally looked upon as an earnest of greater hospitality, and I had no doubt of making up for the toils of the day by a good supper and a sound sleep. Unfortunately, I had neither the one or the other. The night was rainy and temperatuous, and the duty limited his hospitality to the draught of water. July 20th. In the morning, I endeavored, both by entreaties and threats, to procure some victuals from the duty, but in vain. I even begged some corn from one of his female slaves, as she was washing it at the well, and had the mortification to be refused. However, when the duty was gone to the fields, his wife sent me a handful of meal, which I mixed with water and drank for breakfast. About eight o'clock I departed from Dulinkabu, and at a noon stopped a few minutes at a large quarry, where I had some milk given me by the Fulas, and hearing that two negroes were going from thence to Sega, I was happy to have their company, and we set out immediately. About four o'clock we stopped at a small village, where one of the negroes met with an acquaintance, who invited us to a sort of public entertainment, which was conducted with more than common propriety. A dish made of sour milk and meal, called sink-a-tu, and beer made from their corn, was distributed with great liberality, and the women were admitted into the society, a circumstance I had never before observed in Africa. There was no compulsion. Every one was at liberty to drink as he pleased. They nodded to each other when about to drink, and on setting down the calabash commonly said, Burka, thank you. Both men and women appeared to be somewhat intoxicated, but they were far from being quarrelsome. Departing from thence, we passed several large villages, where I was constantly taken for a moor, and became the subject of much merriment to the Bambarans, who, seeing me drive my horse before me, 
laughed heartily at my appearance he has been at mecca said one you may see that by his clothes another asked me if my horse was sick a third wished to purchase it etc so that i believe the very slaves were ashamed to be seen in my company just before it was dark we took up our lodging for the night at a small village where i procured some victuals for myself and some corn for my horse at the moderate price of a button and was told that i should see the niger which the negroes called joliba or the great water early the next day the lions are here very numerous the gates are shut a little after sunset and nobody allowed to go out the thoughts of seeing the niger in the morning and the troublesome buzzing of mosquitoes prevented me from shutting my eyes during the night and i had saddled my horse and was in readiness before daylight but on account of the wild beasts we were obliged to wait until the people were stirring and the gates were opened this happened to be a market day at sego and the roads were everywhere filled with people carrying different articles to sell we passed four large villages and at eight o'clock saw the smoke over sego as we approached the town i was fortunate enough to overtake the fugitive cartans to whose kindness i had been so much indebted in my journey through bambara they readily agreed to introduce me to the king and we rode together through some marshy ground where as i was anxiously looking around for the river one of them called out geo afili see the water and looking forwards i saw with infinite pleasure the great object of my mission the long sought for majestic niger glittering in the morning sun as broad as the thames at westminster and flowing slowly to the eastward i hastened to the brink and having drunk of the water lifted up my fervent thanks in prayer to the great ruler of all things for having thus far crowned my endeavours with success the circumstances of the niger's flowing towards the east and its collateral points did not however excite my surprise for although i had left europe in great hesitation on this subject and rather believed it ran in the contrary direction i had made such frequent inquiries during my progress concerning this river and received from negroes of different nations such clear and decisive assurances that its general course was towards the rising sun as scarce left any doubt on my mind and more especially as i knew that major houghton had collected similar information in the same manner sago the capital of bambara at which i now arrived consists properly speaking of four distinct towns two on the northern bank of the niger called sago caro and sago bu and two on the southern bank called sago su caro and sago si caro they all are surrounded with high mud walls the houses are built of clay 
of a square form with flat roofs some of them have two stories and many of them are whitewashed besides these buildings moorish mosques are seen in every quarter and the streets though narrow are broad enough for every useful purpose in a country where wheel carriages are entirely unknown from the best inquiries i could make i have reason to believe that sago contains altogether about thirty thousand inhabitants the king of bambara constantly resides at sago Coro. he employs a great many slaves in conveying people over the river and the money they receive though the fare is only ten cowrie shells for each individual furnishes a considerable revenue to the king in the course of a year the canoes are of singular construction each of them being formed of the trunks of two large trees rendered concave and joined together not side by side but end ways the junction being exactly across the middle of the canoe they are therefore very long and disproportionately narrow and have neither decks nor masts they are however very roomy for i observed in one of them four horses and several people crossing over the river when we arrived at the ferry with a view to pass over to that part of the town in which the king resides we found a great number waiting for a passage they looked at me with silent wonder and i distinguished with concern many moors among them there were three different places of embarkation and the ferrymen were very diligent and expeditious but from the crowd of people i could not immediately obtain a passage and sat down upon the bank of the river to wait for a more favorable opportunity the view of this extensive city the numerous canoes upon the river the crowded population and the cultivated state of the surrounding country formed altogether a prospect of civilization and magnificence which i little expected to find in the bosom of africa i waited more than two hours without having an opportunity of crossing the river during which time the people who had crossed carried information to masong the king that a white man was waiting for a passage and was coming to see him he immediately sent over one of his chief men who informed me that the king could not possibly see me until he knew what had brought me into his country and that i must not presume to cross the river without the king's permission he therefore advised me to lodge at a distant village to which he pointed for the night and said that in the morning he would give me further instructions how to conduct myself this was very discouraging however as there was no remedy i set off for the village where i found to my great mortification that no person would admit me into his house i was regarded with astonishment and fear and was obliged to sit all day without victuals in the shade of a tree 
and the night threatened to be very uncomfortable for the wind rose and there was great appearance of a heavy rain and the wild beasts are so very numerous in the neighborhood that i should have been under the necessity of climbing up a tree and resting among the branches about sunset however as i was preparing to pass the night in this manner and had turned my horse loose that he might gaze at liberty a woman returning from the labors of the field stopped to observe me and perceiving that i was weary and, and dejected inquired into my situation which i briefly explained to her whereupon with looks of great compassion she took up my saddle and bridle and told me to follow her having conducted me into her hut she lighted up a lamp spread a mat on the floor and told me i might remain there for the night finding that i was very hungry she said she would procure me something to eat she accordingly went out and returned in a short time with a very fine fish which having caused to be half broiled upon some embers she gave me for supper the rites of hospitality being thus performed towards a stranger in distress my worthy benefactress pointing to the mat and telling me i might sleep there without apprehension called to the female part of her family who had stood gazing on me all the while in a fixed astonishment to resume their task of spinning cotton in which they continued to employ themselves great part of the night they lightened their labor by songs one of which was composed extempore for i was myself the subject of it it was sung by one of the young women the rest joining in a sort of chorus the air was sweet and plaintive and the words literally translated were these the winds roared and the rains felled the poor white man faint and weary came and sat under our tree he has no mother to bring him milk no wife to grind his corn chorus let us pity the white man no mother has he etc etc trifling as this recital may appear to the reader to a person in my situation the circumstance was affecting in the highest degree i was oppressed by such unexpected kindness and slept fled from my eyes in the morning i presented my compassionate landlady with two of the four brass buttons which remained on my waistcoat the only recompense i could make her july twenty first i continued in the village all this day in conversation with the natives who came in crowds to see me but was rather uneasy towards evening to find that no message had arrived from the king the more so the people began to whisper that mansong had received some very unfavorable accounts of me from the moors and slatees residing at sago who, who it seems were exceedingly suspicious concerning the motives of my journey i learned that many consultations had been held 
with the king concerning my reception and disposal and some of the villagers frankly told me that i had many enemies and must expect no favor july twenty second about eleven o'clock a messenger arrived from the king but he gave me very little satisfaction he inquired particularly if i had brought any present and seemed much disappointed when he was told that i had been robbed of everything by the moors when i proposed to go along with him he told me to stop until the afternoon when the king would send for me july twenty third in the afternoon another messenger arrived from Masong with a bag in his hands he told me it was the king's pleasure that i should depart forthwith from the vinisage of sago but that a song wishing to relieve a white man in distress had sent me five thousand cowries to enable me to purchase provisions in the course of my journey the messenger added that if my intentions were really to proceed to jenny he had orders to accompany me as a guide to san sanding i was at first puzzled to account for this behavior of the king but from the conversation i had with the guide i had afterwards reason to believe that masson would willingly have admitted me into his presence at sago but was apprehensive he might not be able to protect me against the blind and invertate malice of the moorish inhabitants his conduct therefore was at once prudent and liberal the circumstances under which i made my appearance at sago were undoubtedly such as might create in the mind of the king a well-wanted suspicion that i wished to conceal the true object of my journey he argued probably as my guide argued who when he was told that i had come from a great distance and though many dangers to behold the joliba river naturally inquired if there were no rivers in my own country and whether one river was not like another notwithstanding this and in spite of the jealous machinations of the moors this benevolent prince thought it sufficient that a white man was found in his dominions in a condition of extreme wretchedness and that no other plea was necessary to entitle the sufferer to his bounty End of Volume 1, Chapter 15 Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.